Acts chapter 20, pick it up in verse 13. Let's do some background work here, Acts, Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 13 down to 16. And we went before the ship and sailed unto Asus. They're intending to take in Paul. Now the we is Luke, okay? You got to understand, Luke is the one who's recording the book of Acts. And they sailed down to Azos, and they pick up Paul, for so he had appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Azos, we took him in and came to uh, Mytilene. We sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios. The next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogilium. And the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus. And remember that. He's got to get to Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. We call it Asia Minor or Turkey. For he hasted, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. Mm. Now, uh, Ephesus is on the far west corner or corner <laughs> or the edge of modern Turkey. That's where Ephesus is. He has left Greece. He's just done a, done a huge, I don't know, 900 or 1,000 mile trek through Macedonia and then down to Corinth and Achaia and back up and then now down to Ephesus. And he's he's back but he's not in the town yet and he's on his way to jerusalem but he stops by ephesus there's a reason why he wants to speak to them one more time and i i look forward to the rapture i'm looking forward to jesus coming back even so come lord jesus let it be today but i still have more i want to teach you there's more that that if i were to die i would be a little bit sad because there's so much more that God is laying on my heart that we need. And so every Sunday I get up, I'm trying to teach you what God's teaching me and what we all need. And Paul says, I can't leave Ephesus without just one more influence. I've got to speak to them one more time before I go to Jerusalem. And he needs to remind them of what they saw in his life. And that's scary because I, I would be embarrassed if you followed me around. <laughs> Day after day after day. Most of us don't have a life that's worth following. But Paul says, I got to remind you about my manner of life. It wasn't a perfect life that he lived. Only Jesus lived the perfect life. But Paul had a real life. He had a helpful life. He had a pattern that was for all ministers and all Christian men to follow. You know, the truth is, you can learn more watching someone than listening to them. What do they say? Do as I do, not as I say. Now we always tell people what to do, but they end up doing only what they see us do. You will learn more watching someone than listening to them. You need to listen to your teachers, you need to listen to your parents, you need to listen to your pastor. They do know a little bit more than you do, all right? Your parents in almost, in almost all situations are actually older than their kids. So you should listen to your parents. You should listen to your pastor. But according to the scriptures, you and I are actually learning more from their actions. <laughs> I never had to teach my kids to burp, but they saw me. <laughs> I, never, I never had to teach them how to fight. I never had, they pick up stuff. You and I are learning more from the actions of our teachers and our parents and even your pastor and from their attitudes than from their words. And I'm saddened that this generation is too busy watching media because they believe Peter Parker really exists. Spider-Man, 
Are you with me about that? Okay, anyway. <laughs> they watch carefully written speeches and orchestrated events on TV and they think it's real. You watch some YouTube and somebody saying something, doing something. They show off how, how incredible people on, a, on, a, on, on rollerblades or on a bicycle can ride down the rail of steps. And you go, that is so cool. I mean, it is incredibly hard to do. But you're not watching the 47 times beforehand where they failed and they fell and they fall, they, they, they messed up. And people think that that's life. And that, when you look at real life, you don't know what you're seeing. When you have a mom who is still faithful to dad, when you see dad still faithful to home and to his, to his children, you don't take it for value that it's awesome. That is who you're to emulate. Not, not Thor and not Marvel Comics. We need example lives. And I'm going to say most people are busy watching the multimedia. They watch the social media. They watch their Netflix, Hulu, and everything else because they don't see anybody real, maybe. That's a problem. So God comes along and he records for us and for all generations a heart-to-heart -heart talk like Paul, from Paul, so that we have a good example of what a godly man is like and what he does. Because I need that. Let's go to verse 17. We'll start off here where we left off last week. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church. We'll just stop with that one sentence there. He calls for the elders. I'll say, what's an elder? An elder is just not any Christian man. Elders are mature Christian men. And not just because you're male doesn't mean you're really a man. And just because you're a man doesn't mean that you are mature. Ladies, you can say amen. amen. Elders are mature. I'll go back there. Are mature Christian men who are stable, dependable, settled. And it doesn't mean they're boring. But the girls today seem to want to have the problem boy. They want to have the 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 um, uh, I don't know the wild boy they think they think when they marry them that they'll calm down no they won't ladies it's not it's not wrong to have fun and to do exciting things but at some point you better make sure he's stable he's mature he wants to be a father amen an elder is a mature Christian man He's an older Christian man, not in age, but in maturity. You know, comparing David to Saul, Saul was older than David. But when God looked at David, he says, I found a man following my heart. And, and he, called, he was just a teenager. An elder is an older Christian man in maturity. You might be saved just five years, 10 years. And I, somebody else could be saved 30 years and you'd be more mature. So an elder is somebody who's not just by age and not just by looks and not just male, but there's some characteristics with them. They were the leaders of the churches through, spread throughout Ephesus. There were hundreds of churches and there were hundreds of these elders in those churches pastoring thousands of people spread throughout that city of Ephesus. We call the leaders of churches pastors, which is just the word shepherd. Somebody says, what about the word bishop? Well, bishop is a Bible word as well. Not the kind of bishop you think. A bishop has to be the husband of one wife and has to have kids 
And they need to be a pastor of one church, not running the empire of a load of other churches. A biblical bishop's a pastor, an elder. They were married, pastors were married, had children, had jobs, they carried burdens, they loved people and spent their lives feeding God's flock. And Paul needed to talk with them. Paul's going to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with the leaders of those house churches throughout Ephesus. I kind of got that when I went to, uh, uh, to Scotland. It was a bunch of different pastors and missionaries. They came all over the world, but mainly from Scotland. And they just preached at us, and I preached at them. And we needed each other. We've had that type of fellowship meeting back in February right here. We had a pastor's fellowship because we pastors need preaching too. I listen to preaching, but it's nice when somebody's right in front of me yelling at me, amen? <laughs> so he calls for every mature Christian. It says there, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. He wanted them to come away, and it was about 80 miles for them to travel to come down to Miletus. So it's a bit of effort they had to put in. Not everybody liked Paul. But they all respected him and they knew they needed to hear what he had to say because he's leaving. And these elders are going to be now in charge of preaching and teaching and caring for the thousands of believers spread throughout that city of Ephesus. And he was worried about them. So Paul, now look at verse 18. He begins to review his manner of life. Verse 18. When they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know. From the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Now that word, when he says after that manner, after what manner, what is a manner of life? All right. Well, a manner of life is how you live. Did your parents ever teach you manners? I don't think they did. We are rude. We are uncaring. We don't open the door for anybody anymore. We say stuff, whatever comes in our head, we say it and we should be ashamed of it. We think things that we are gonna have to answer for before God. We don't worry about what we do that might uh, hurt and, and, and stop the gospel. I'm telling you, what's your manner of life like? How you live, how you talk, how you think, how you react, how you plan and you work is your manner. It's your habits. It's your custom. If it's customary, we say, we do this. That's not our custom. The modern word is culture. Everyone has habits. People in France and Spain, when they greet each other, what do they do? Don't they? That's their custom. That's their manner. First time I went to Spain and I was invited to preach, I went to this church near Malaga there, and I come in, and boy, 50 different people trying to kiss me, man. <laughs> it was a little getting used to. <laughs> a little interesting. That's their custom. Some people tip the waitress or the waiter as a normal thing. That's a good habit. Some people constantly complain about everything. That's a bad habit. Some men always walk in front of their wives, never walking alongside them. That's a bad habit, you understand? That's a custom that you ought to break. Some men never show any affection toward their wife, never publicly, and that's bad. I never saw my dad hold my mom's hand. Never heard her say, I love you. Never heard him say, I love you. Never heard that. 
It wasn't my dad's custom. That's a bad habit. If you cannot, in front of your kids, if you can't, come into the church, hold your wife's hands, shame on you. That's a bad habit. We all have them. Some men never. Uh, some men stay up long into the night watching videos or playing games while their wife goes to bed before them. That's bad manners. Amen. Paul had things he did on purpose. He developed godly habits. From the moment he got saved, his habits changed, folks. And he made sure of that. He was no longer Saul of Tarsus, was he? What was he? He was Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. He started to do things that, that were different than what he used to. And he worked hard to change those habits. Do you know what matters to God? How you live your life, how you talk. I mean, I've been convicted. I mean, these last, during COVID, you're with your family a lot more than you normally are, aren't you? And if we had a meter that measures rudeness, it's just, we're rude. That's a bad habit. That's a manner. What do people in your home see and hear from you? Grumbling, angry, forceful, whining, laziness, bitter, constantly yelling? Do you know, the unsaved and the saved around us need to see godly men living godly. Men who moment by moment choose to do the right things, not say what they feel like. <laughs> now Paul is not reminiscing. He's going to be reminding them of how he lived among them. Um, let's see. Okay, so uh, let's look there in verse 18 and 19. This is as far as we're going to go tonight, to this morning. And the day, uh, there we are. Verse 18, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came to Asia, after what manner? What was I like? I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. See, Paul describes four ways <coughs> he lived among the Ephesians. He lived a well-known life. He says, you know me. He lived a faithful, consistent life. He lived a servant's life. We're going to spend most of our time talking there. And then he also lived the teacher and preacher's life with passion. He was not lecturing. He poured his whole life into every place he went. And these are very convicting. I, when I read these things, you can read them along and ignore them, or you can take them and say, I wish that was me. And I pray that you do that. Let's pray one more time. Father, we come before you asking that this message would help, especially the men. Elders are not specially assigned. Their position is earned. Their place as leaders have to have a high standard. And we're not, we're not able for it without your help. And it's nice to have some people who are examples. Our church needs godly men most of all. Men who don't mind being in the public eye. Men who are not ashamed of failing as they strive to live godly and to do the right thing. So would you please help us this morning to hear the heart of Paul, which is actually your heart, as it just shakes us to the core and reminds us this is what we need. And may we pray for the men in our church and pray for the next generation of men 
but they don't end up like so many of the people we've known who just messed up with their life so bad. God, please give us another chance to reach the next generation and raise up a godly generation of men. In Jesus' name, amen. So back there in verse 18, we'll start again, look at it over and over. Paul lived a public life. I like how he says, when they were come to him, he said to them, ye know. From the very first day that I came to Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, he lived an open and a real life. You know, politicians, they use this word today, transparency. You ever heard that? You know where they got that from? The Bible. Do you know why people, they don't even think about it, don't even know about it, but we know there's a lot of, of uh, um, uh, corruption in politics, so we want everything out in the open. We want everything transparent. That starts in the church, folks, amen? It starts with our men. It starts where, folks, your phone is not yours. It's your wife's or your parents, amen? Gentlemen, I need some amens from you, not just the women. You need to live an open life where your life is able to be looked at. And yeah, there's going to be flaws. There's going to be failures. But they see somebody who's striving to do right in their life. They're not ashamed of doing right. They're ashamed of doing wrong. People knew not just what Paul preached and what he believed, but how he lived. He was not superior or arrogant he was real. And if you met Paul, he made some big mistakes. We call them whoppers where I come from as a kid. That was a whopper. He, one time, he was, he was uh, standing before, and we'll read about it in a few chapters, standing before a bunch of Jews who were threatening and, and hoping to get him killed. And the high priest is, is, is just so mad at Paul. Paul stands up and begins to, begins to give his testimony. The high priest says, hit him. And the man goes over there and with the back of his hand strikes him across Paul's face solid. Probably knocked him off his feet. Paul stood up and, got, and he said, God's going to smite you, boy. <laughs> he called him a whited sepulcher. He said, a man full of dead men's bones. And everybody went, oh, you just rebuked the high priest. And he went, sorry. You see, he knew I can't do that anymore. I cannot accuse somebody in authority I cannot slam I cannot mock although I want to he blew it but he was real everyone knew his past go to chapter 26 you're in Acts chapter 26 in verse 9 Acts 26 I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. At that point, is he saved or lost? He's lost. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's a Jew trying to squash the name of Jesus Christ, trying to get rid of the earth of Christians. Verse 10, which thing also I did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. Um, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. These were the parts. Uh, Paul says, everybody knew me. Everybody knew that was Paul the Terminator. I, my life was well known by everybody. I was a killer. 
Look back uh, in verse 4. Look at how he starts off. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among mine own nation of Jerusalem, know all the Jews. Everybody knows me. They knew me from the beginning if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of the religion, of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. What's he saying? It's just like saying some people saying, well, man, I was a strict Catholic. I went to church every Saturday night. My parents made me go on Sunday morning too. I was an altar boy. I did this, I did that. We went to retreats. That's Paul. He says, everybody knew me as a Catholic. Everybody knew me as a Jew. He didn't hide anything. But since he got converted, he had a new way of living and he's telling them, you knew me as different. Go to Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4. He, from the moment he got saved, he knew God called him to live differently. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're supposed to live differently now? Now, what most people want is fire insurance. They want a little good luck charm that they can put in their back pocket and they can live any way they want so that when they die, they can pull out that and say, see, I deserve heaven. That's not Christianity at all. Listen, when you got married, did you even dream that you could continue to live the way that you used to before you got married? No. Gentlemen, that woman helped you, didn't she? She also had some expectations. Socks off the floor. <laughs> Amen. Dishes in the washer. <laughs> and somebody moving in your life changes you. Amen. And so does Jesus Christ. Uh, where am I? I'm in uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Listen to Paul now. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard, and look at these next words, circle these words, and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. He could speak from experience. He said, I've been in prison. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten five times by rods, once, uh, uh, always less than 40 times each time, but I've been beaten, I've been abandoned, I've been hated, but I've been happy. He says, if you watch my life and you listen to what I said and watched what I did, you could be happy too. That's testimony. That's what everybody does. Don't you watch it on TV? Don't you watch it? Somebody says, this product will do such and such. I'm proof. That's a testimony. Well, Christian, the world is waiting for your testimony of how a Christian man lives. And he lives unashamed. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians 3, 11. Go back to the left, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. Second Corinthians 3.11 says, for, uh, am I not, oh, yeah, 3.10. 2 Corinthians 3.10. That was fully known. I'm looking at Corinthians. It's 2 Timothy. It's one of the Declan moments where I start to uh, show my age, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. 2 Timothy 3.10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. What's the next three words? Manner of life. Purpose. You know my purpose. My faith. Long-suffering. My charity. My patience. Persecutions. You saw it. Afflictions which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. But out of them all, 
Isn't it wonderful to be able to say, Oh, the Lord delivered me. Paul didn't mind anyone knowing how he lived or what he did with his life because he was lived for others. And I wish you'd get that. He lived for others. You see, men need to see men live right. I need it. Most men have been living without any male pattern in their life. I don't want you to raise your hand, but think about how many people grow up without a dad. It's hard. I mean, mom's great. Mom does her best, but that boy needs a dad. If you did have a dad, it rarely was a godly dad. And my first male godly example in my life was my pastor when I got saved. And I told you, I said I wanted to live with him, I wanted to move in with he and his wife, and she refused. Meanie. But I was desperate. I did not know how to read my Bible. I didn't know how to treat other people. I didn't know how to have family devotions. And they had everything I wanted. And I said, show me. Don't just preach it. Show me. Men need to watch how other men worship God. I need to see people pray. I learned to pray in prayer meeting. My pastor can preach all day. I can preach all night about how to pray. It's nothing like when we get together and you get off your butt and come here and sit down and get on your face, gentlemen, and you listen to men pray. That's when you learn to pray. Amen. Men need to see that. They need to see how you react to pressures and problems and stresses, money problems, health problems, family problems. They need, you don't need to hide it all and say, I'm living the perfect life, you liar. Why don't you just be real? You don't have to be too real. But people need to go and see your life and see you're still following the Lord, still doing right. The next generation needs to see that it's worth doing things right. So don't be too private. Go to Titus. One more page there, chapter 2 and verse 2. Don't be too private. Titus 2.2. 2. That the aged men, oh, Declan, we're in good company. <laughs> I'm picking on He now regrets telling everybody how old he is. Anyway, that the aged men be sober, mm, grave, serious, temperate, balanced, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Huh. So the aged men are elders. Supposed to have a kind of a godly lifestyle. Look in verse 6. And those older men need to exhort young men. Look what he says. Young men likewise exhort also to be sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself. Telling Titus, you need to show yourself a what? Say it with me. Pattern of good works, good manners, good habits. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. He that is of the contrary part may be ashamed. Let other people be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So ladies and gentlemen, especially gentlemen, don't live too privately. Don't just command your sons and your daughters. Show them how to live. Show them, show them how to treat a woman. I had no idea. I was terrified of dating all the way through high school. I saw everybody else doing it, but I was not saved. But I had no idea how to talk to a girl. You say, that's terrible. No, it kept me out of trouble. 
And I needed somebody to show me how to treat a girl because I just saw my dad mistreat my mom. I need a good example. You understand what I'm saying? And there's too many grown-up gentlemen who still have never looked for a pattern of how to treat their wife, how to talk to their wife, how to be respectful, how to love them. Ladies, you need examples too. Look in verse 3. You're still in Titus chapter 2, verse 3. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior, behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's a, someone a fault finder. Not given much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to also be sober, to love their husband. I love my husband. Let an older woman tell you if you are. Seek the help of an older Christian woman. Show you how to love that man who you want to poison. Amen. Let the older ladies who still are married, who have raised godly children, sit down with them and say, I'm having a problem. I need some help. I've been watching you, but I got some questions. Help me. He goes on. Teach to love their husbands, even to love their children. You'll learn that from older ladies. To be discreet. Boy, I used to think men had filthy mouths. Now women say everything out of their mouth, out of the sewer. Chaste, keepers at home, good, woohoo, obedient to their own husbands instead of obedient only to the boss. That the word of God be not blasphemed. I see a huge number of young women have no idea how to be a lady. They have no idea how to dress modestly. They have no idea how to love their husbands or their children. And I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying there is help for you. It's called older Christian women who are supposed to be, ladies, if you're an older Christian woman, you're supposed to be an example to the next generation. You know, huh, ladies, would it be wonderful if someone would teach you and help you learn how to fight your husband and win the right way? Hmm. Paul not only lived a public life, he lived a consistent life. Back in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. He lived a consistent life. Verse 18, 2018, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, you know me, from the first day that I came to Asia, not after I went on holiday, not after I got settled, not after anything else. He says, from the very first day that I came into Asia, you know what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Do you know what Paul was? He was the same every day. Now, I don't mean that to the point of boredom, but he wasn't constantly changing, wasn't constantly with every wind of doctrine. He wasn't constantly going where all the popular you know, people were. He was with people that he ministered to. He was consistent, faithful. They saw him when he was up. They saw him when he was down. They saw him when it was easy being a Christian man. They saw him when it was dark and when all of Ephesus was trying to kill him. He was with the people at every season of life. He says, I was with you from day one. I was with you. I never lived above you. I didn't expect you to live up to me. I lived to you. When people were happy to hear the gospel, he loved it. When the city was about to trample them to death, he loved them. When people were sick and hurting, he was with them. When they had no money and no food, he gave to them. When they were kicked out of their homes because of following Jesus, he was with them. He helped them with tents. 
to the Ephesians, Paul became an Ephesian. Do you know what Paul was being like? He's just being like Jesus was. Amen. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Shouldn't we be like that kind of faithful? By the way, how is your consistency? Sporadic reading of the Bible during the week, at, or if at all? Holding out a gospel track or church invitation to somebody, if you do it at all? Do you even pray with your family, your wife, your sons or daughters? How's your consistency? I can tell you, mine is not great. Schedule, busyness. It's very convicting, isn't it? How about giving and tithing? Sporadic Christians are like cars that cannot be depended upon to start on a cold morning. What do you do with a car that won't start? You get another one. <laughs> you, 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 you're angry at it. You're yelling at it. Why don't you start? Some people try to be Pentecostal. They have hands on it, you know? <laughs> Folks, some of us are so undependable. We shouldn't live that way. I have so many inconsistencies in my life. If you watched me, follow me around, you'd go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I hope you see that I'm striving, I'm trying, I'm working on. God gave me a great woman who helps me know not only where I'm wrong, but let me help you do right. Let me help you with this area. Let me do, let me, let's, but both of us do this together. That's a home. Last point, a servant life. Verse 19, he says this serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Servant life. Men brag about all the wrong things. I hear and I've heard, I mean, if you ever go soul winning, you hear a lot of bragging about the girls people, men have dated. <clears throat> I hear men brag about the money they make, about the nightlife they try and live. They brag about the drugs they've tried. I find even Christian men sometimes bragging about things in their life. I have found no man ever who bragged about serving. Isn't that strange? Because you can't. <laughs> you just serve. You see, serving is the greatest manner of life. It's the best way to live, ladies and gentlemen. We think being served would be awesome. I mean, those of you in here, wouldn't it be nice to go home and the husband has already fixed dinner? Plates are set out, dinner isn't burned, it's ready to go, and you just come home and sit down. We're all dreaming now, aren't we? <laughs> Being served where we're catered to, every whim, you know what that is? A short-term pleasure, and it is the definition of selfishness. And it's why this generation is the angriest, the ugliest, the most complaining, spoiled brats ever. Because we want everything, we expect everything. And there are so few servants. I have found the willing servant of God is the happiest of all God's creatures. Seriously. I'm just going to read it for time. Jesus said this. Jesus called them unto him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles up at the top, they exercise lordship over them, dominion. And their great ones exercise authority upon the lower lives. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever you will be the chiefest, Tishuk, shall be the servant of all. 
For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give, not just money, not just time, but to give his life a ransom for many. When anyone met Paul or saw Paul, they saw not an apostle, they saw a servant. You know what Jesus did? He washed people's feet. He touched lepers. He honored children. He picked up children. Held up. I mean, the disciples are freaking out. The crowd is freaking out. <clears throat> he fed thousands of people who didn't care about what he was saying. They just wanted to have free food. Philippians chapter 2 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Wow. This way of thinking as a servant, are you known as a servant or a despot? As soon as you go home, who's in charge? I know there are times you have to take charge, you have to be in charge, but do they think of you as a servant or not? Shame on us. Next time you're in an argument or you are upset, humble yourself and serve your enemy. Bless those who've hurt your feelings and attacked your pride. Who and how did Paul serve? Verse 29 tells us serving the Lord first. I can't skip this part. I don't think people know what it means to serve. I just don't. Serving means to work for someone else. Okay. It means to give your labors for their benefit. <laughs> you know, when you have to work and the boss goes home, guess what? That's a servant life. Amen. Where you're paid less than your employer, that's a servant's life. Do you understand? And we don't like that. But a servant waits for the wish or the request or the command of someone else. Is there anyone you would do that to? Is there somebody you would just, if they had a wish, you would fulfill it? David was running from Saul. King David was in a cave. And he began to get very discouraged. And he, he, he whispered. He didn't even announce it. He had men around him who were just sitting there waiting for their next instructions, what they're going to do, where they're going to hide from King Saul and his army. And as they're sitting there, David just whispers, barely a breath, above a breath, he says, I wish I had a drink of the water of Bethlehem. I miss it. Three men got up, said, let's do it. And they took off, risked their life, went through the Philistines, which actually was in charge and control of Bethlehem at that time, got there, lowered down a big bucket, filled up a flask full of water, got back through all of the Philistine enemy lines, came back, headed to King David. He wasn't king yet, but he was their king. And they said, here, and he went, I can't drink this. You guys risked your life for a carnal wish. But they were proud to do it. They were glad to do it because they served David. What are you willing to do for somebody? How did he serve? He served with all humility of mind. He never thought he was above anyone. He never withheld kindness from anyone. He, he just gave away what God gave to him. Paul lived and preached and worked hard for the benefit of others. He actually saw unworthy people more important than himself. You know what the definition of a narcissist is? They think only of themselves. But when Jesus looked down from heaven, he thought of me more than himself. He says, you serve the Lord Jesus, 
and he served people. Wow. I'm just going to quote this verse, Colossians 3, for time. He says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the, and not unto men. And everything he did, he thought he was taking care of Jesus. You know, that would change a church. If when you come to church, you don't bring an attitude in because all you want to do is take care of God's people. And you just want to bless people like as if they're Jesus. Because guess what? He says, you do it unto the least of my brethren, you're doing it unto me. So it goes hand in hand. You cannot be the servant of the Lord without serving broken, sinful, messed up, infuriating people. You know, I found that we never serve good people. We just serve people, no matter who they are, where they've been, where they're going. No matter what they've done. Our lives now are for others. He served people. He served with two last thoughts, with humility of mind and with tears. Uh, I want to encourage you, gentlemen, if you decide to do what this message asks of us, and that is to, to follow the example of Paul, and to start living your life openly as a pattern for the next generation, whether you're a dad or whether you're a teacher or <clears throat> whether you're just a Christian man in this church, if you'll start to live so that your life is up a notch <clears throat> so that you can prove the, that the will of God is perfect and that the, the word of God still is, is worth obeying and believing. And if you do that, I'll tell you, you'll do it with tears because it's going to be hard. This is not the easiest way to live, ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen, if it, what Paul has poured out, he says, guys, I'm leaving, and everything I've done has been for you. And I want you as elders, as pastors, as teachers, as men in charge, I want you to do it for your people, even to the point of costing you everything. What kind of manner or what kind of life should we live? What should people see when they see us? They're going to see flaws, but they should see reality. And they should see a love for Jesus Christ, never hidden or never ashamed. Whosoever believeth on him should not be ashamed, should they? They should see a consistent life lived according to the Bible, striving for one goal, just to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing, say the right thing. And most of all, they should see a servant. How's your servant record? My dad was in the military, and he had a service record. He had a record of times where he had to go and do certain things and accomplishments. He had medals for all of his acts of service. In the military, even the guard, it's nice to go up to somebody and say, thank you for your service, because they have served you, maybe fought for the freedom that we enjoy. Well, how's our record of service? When we die, will anyone write on our tombstone a servant of Jesus Christ? Paul wrote that in Romans chapter 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Before he ever said he was an apostle or that he had anything to offer, he says, I'm just a servant of Jesus Christ. When we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, will any of us hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Till that day, this generation following us need us to live and die right. None of that comes naturally. If, if this is too high for you, that's true. Because you need to be born again. 
This is, this is big stuff, and it only happens when you become saved, when the Holy Spirit moves in, and like helium in a balloon, picks you up, carries you through, man. You need a new birth. You need to be forgiven. You know, your forgiveness was paid for at Christ's expense. How can we live any less? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, Ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, in how you live, and in your spirit, how you feel, which both belong to God. All your best efforts will not save you. Only Jesus saves. And he's waiting to do it today. But if you are saved, there's some work to do. It matters how you live now. It matters whether you're faithful in church. It matters whether you're faithful in the Bible. It matters whether you're consistent in your growth and in your service and in your, your compassion and the way you live like Christ. Churches do not need Apostle Pauls. You know what they need? Servants. Elders. Men who are loyal to the name of Jesus Christ. Burdened about living the life of a Christ follower. If you're not that kind of man... You know what today is? It's a great day to humble yourself and repent of being lazy, being selfish, being unfaithful, being carnal, being an immature man, and decide to follow Paul's example and say, you know what, the next generation, I'm nothing to look at, but I'm going to make sure when somebody looks at me, they see what they saw in Paul. They see a servant. Let's stand. Let's bow in prayer. Let's pray. In this moment, before we pray, I'd like you to uh, talk to God. You may be mad at me. I don't care. But is there anything, if there is anything that this church and every real church needs, it's what Paul is pouring his heart out to those men and to their churches there, is that we need godly men, men who take their Christianity serious and who grow and mature and take on responsibility. We shouldn't have so many people afraid to take burdens on. Dear God, we're all going to fail. We're going to mess up. We don't want anybody to see our failures. But if we get over ourselves and just serve, we will make a difference. So Lord, work in the heart of especially the men in this church, in my heart as you have, I pray we would just take this moment and say, sorry, God, I'm so sorry. You know my life, and probably a lot of people know my life. And I don't ever want anybody to think it's an impressive life. I want them to see Jesus Christ in my life and to see a servant, consistent, open and transparent, yes, for others to follow. If there's anybody who's not saved, this is a good day to realize all the best efforts, they mean well. They want to do right. They're trying so hard, but without the Holy Spirit of God in their heart, they can do nothing. Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. We must be born all over again on the inside. And that comes if somebody would just cry out to you and ask, save a wretch like me. Lord, thank you for Paul's heart. Make it ours. In Jesus' name, amen.